So Money Episode 232, So Money Millennial, Travis Hornsby. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey, you're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We have a very special lineup this week, dedicating Monday through Friday of this week to our So Money millennials out there. I have been asking listeners for about a month now, hey, are you a So Money millennial? Why? Let me know. Email me. And I got lots and lots of great emails from people all over the country. I have today someone, you're not even going to believe this. He's 25 years old and retired. I mean, when we think about retirement, early retirement, we think what, 50, 40? But the youngest age I've ever heard of retiring is 25. And I've got that guest on today, Travis Hornsby. He is just a 25-year-old who claims that he has retired officially. My first reaction to that was, say what? And then I laughed. And then I thought, I really need to talk to this guy. A little more about Travis. He up until this year was working as a bond trader at Vanguard. He passed the CFA exams and he was on track to become a portfolio manager, but he realized, you know what? This just isn't me. I'm not fulfilled. And it actually does remind me of a famous Tony Robbins saying that success without fulfillment is failure. So Travis recognized this and said, you know what? I need to change course. And he'd always been a big saver since college. So he decided to take the plunge and start saving two-thirds of his income every year and live like a pauper with the goal to retire at 25, which he just achieved. Now, as of right now, he's enjoying his retirement by traveling the world. He's already been all over Europe, and he plans to travel to South America and Asia next. Travis has also started the website millennialmoolah.com, where you can learn more about his advice and his journey. He also has a brand new book out called 25 is the New 65, where he shares his story of how he retired early and shows other millennials how they can do it too. Now, in our conversation with Travis, I ask him for very specific numbers. I want to know how much money do you actually need to save by 25 to feel as though you can just throw in the towel? And what does he mean by retirement? Like, what does that definition mean to him? Because I think it's different for everybody. And how does he plan to spend the rest of his life? Really? Has he thought it through? (laughs) What's he going to be doing when he's 45 or 50? How long is this money actually going to last? So without further ado, here is our inaugural So Money Millennial, Travis Hornsby. Travis Hornsby, millennial who is retired at 25. I can't believe it. Welcome to the show, kiddo. Hey, good to be here. All right. First of all, I want to just let our listeners know where you are calling in from, where you are connecting in from. Tell us where you are. Sure. So if you hear a little bit of an echo, I apologize. It's because I'm calling from the megalopolis of Krakow, Poland. Uh, I'm in the middle of uh, I'm in the middle of uh, a hostel making making the call in. So uh, it's it's been crazy. I've been in maybe like nine countries so far. Probably planning on hitting maybe twenty to twenty five before I come back. So it's been a blast. My goodness! And this is part of your retirement journey, which we're going to talk about very soon. Before we get to that, though, I want to just 
mentioned you're 25 years old. You just retired. Take us back a few years when you were working at, I believe it was Vanguard as a bond trader. You weren't happy. What was the light bulb moment for you that clicked that said, oh my gosh, I could actually retire in a few years. And then how did you go about doing it? Well, so first I have to take you back even further to when I was 18. The the big thing that really set me up for today was not going into a ton of debt. So uh, I had different options to choose from, as a lot of people do when they're choosing which university to go to. And I was really lucky. I got a scholarship to go to school and the scholarship actually paid me uh, to go to school, kind of like a graduate stipend. And that set me up to have money in the bank starting work instead of having the opposite, having debt. So that was huge. And, I would say uh, that's totally an anomaly too. Like nobody gets paid to go to college, but. I'm, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I've What's actually What's your IQ? Found- What's your, what, how'd you do on your <laughs> SATs? Uh, I, I did okay, but, but not as good as, uh, the girl I'm dating right now. So, uh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like I blew it out of the park. Well, I think do, actually, yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, how do you get a, a scholarship plus a stipend? How does that like, tell us what you did. Sure. So I basically applied to a lot of different places. I targeted schools that had prestigious scholarships for undergraduate programs that paid for the cost of attendance uh, inclusive. So room, board, tuition, everything. I did this because my parents' net income was maybe around 40000 a year. And I had two brothers. So I figured I needed to get a scholarship to go to school. And I applied to all these different places. I ended up getting into a variety of schools that were up and down the ranking on the U.S. News and World Report list. And I chose one that was still in the top 50, but not the very best school that I got into. And to sweeten the pot, to make you go to that school, they gave me a really great scholarship. And actually, that's not as uncommon as you would think. A lot of schools, state flagship institutions, different places, they make venture capital investments in their students where they'll throw a lot of money at maybe 30 students a year with the hope that one of them will become the next person that will endow their school. So there's actually a lot more of this opportunity out there than people realize. And it was an enormous opportunity for me getting myself set up to be financially independent one day. And what was the school? Uh, University of Florida. University of Florida. Excellent school. So, yeah, almost okay. as good as Penn State. <laughs> almost. Uh, don't get too <laughs> cocky. Um, so, okay. So you're making money in college. You did something with this money, I suspect, that allowed it to grow pretty quickly. Right. So I invested whatever surplus that I had. I followed uh, a very similar plan to Mr. Money Mustache in that I put money away. Whenever I had extra, I invested it. I definitely made some mistakes early on that I learned from, but I would put more and more you know, in the markets, which as of 2009, when I started doing this, was actually a very good time to be investing in the markets and had the good fortune to watch those earn those investments rise in value. And I continue to do that. And really, we've been in a bull market the past six years. So I've had a tremendous tailwind uh, with the incredible performance that the S&P 500 uh, has returned in this time. Uh, so it wouldn't have been possible without that. Are you willing to share specifics? How much did you invest? Where is the money now? Because I want to ask you, how the heck do you know at 25 that you have enough, quote unquote, enough money to retire? So as much as you mm-hmm. can be specific about the dollar figures of how much of you course. saved, what, how, how you invested, what it's grown to, we would really love to hear those juicy details. 
Sure. I mean, so so basically, I probably invested about seven to seventy seven to eight thousand a year each year in undergrad, which was the excess over the living expenses that I had. Uh, the school basically gave a flat amount of money to live off of, and I made it go farther by living in a house with five other guys paying like two hundred seventy five dollars a month in rent and crazy things like that. So I. I put about that much every year. And, and by the time I got out of school, I maybe had about 40,000, 40 to 45,000 saved. Uh, and then every year when I was working, I actually never made six figures the entire time I was working, but I made a, a solid salary, like more than the average person makes coming out of school. And I took about 60% of my pre-tax compensation and invested that. And I, I just got incredibly lucky. Uh, you know, I've, I've spread my money between U.S. and international stocks. I mostly use index funds. I've moved a little bit away from that now that I'm retired to emphasize stocks that pay dividends so I can replace my income. Um, but, you know, one year, I think it was the second year I was working, I put maybe 40 or 50,000 away. And uh, the amount that it grew by was uh, like, I saved like 60% or 65%. And it was like I saved 100% of my pre-tax compensation because the stock market did so well that year. So this was a very unusual situation that that I found myself in because of how well the markets performed. So I don't know if it's necessarily replicable starting from today. If I had to start now, if I would get the same performance. Are you prepared for a downturn? Because the market is cyclical. You happen to catch it on a, the wave going up. And, uh, it, you know, we look, I don't want to be uh, <laughs> Nostradamus here, but I do think that just knowing mm -hmm. the history of how the financial markets work, we're going to go up and down. So how are you shielding yourself? How are you uh, managing that risk now that you're quote unquote retired? So that's a great question. So what I what I've typically found most financial institutions recommend is that people use a total return approach to their investments, which is theoretically the the right thing to do, but in practicality, we all have to be able to eat, right? So what I do instead is I've started moving my investments more towards stocks that pay dividends that are reasonably priced, which I've found from the various things that I've invested in the past tend to be a little bit less volatile as well. And if they're paying a three to 4% dividend, no matter if the stock goes up or down, I can live off of that. Or at least I have real income that I don't have to actively sell anything to get something to live off of. So that's actually how I try to meet my actual spending needs is using that approach. And with the performance of the stock market being so exceptional, I try to stay away from the stocks that I view is very overdone. I was looking at like Facebook today and there's something like 90 times earnings uh, is their price. So there's just a ton of bad news right now, especially in tech that could cause a lot of really well-known stocks to go down maybe 50% or more and still be considered potentially overpriced. So I just try to steer clear of anything that's too exciting. I try to stick mm -hmm. to the meat and meat and potatoes kind of stocks. Index funds. I suppose your time at Vanguard was not all of a waste of time. You learned a <laughs> lot about probably how the markets behave, even though you weren't, as you said, fulfilled. Right. So I'll say the average person, absolutely. Index funds are a great, great thing to use. And I still use some of them for my own investments. Um, I don't count completely on, on 
investments, I have about 10% of my net worth in cash to protect myself against a precipitous fall in the markets. So even if we had a Great Depression event where the stock market goes down 90%, uh, I'm still going to be able to not work for a period of, say, two to three years just based off of cash investments that I have. And hopefully by that point, the markets will either have recovered or I will have been able to find a job doing something. (laughs) Um, So... You know, index funds are great. The only concern that I have about them is Vanguard has reached a point that no other mutual fund company ever has in the sense that it has more market share now than any other company in history has had. So more and more money is getting poured into index funds, meaning that companies like an Apple or a Microsoft or ExxonMobil are having more and more money poured into them. And I kind of wonder, you know, since everyone's doing it and it's everyone has the same advice that if you don't run the risk of more volatile markets, as everyone starts putting their money in the same strategies. And so that's why I started to diversify a little bit as of last year, putting money in in stocks that fall just outside of the big indexes. All right. Well, let's get back to the headline here. Travis Hornsby, 25-year-old retiree. How did you know that at 25, you could retire? What was the amount of money that you had that you felt confident was going to last you? And then also, what's your definition of retirement? Sure. So I have to say that uh, I have to thank uh, you and, and Mr. Money Mustache, two of my big inspirations. Uh, he, I got to hear on your show about how he retired and how he retired at 30. And he definitely had more money than I did. So what I decided is he, he got to the point where he was completely financially independent, where every one of his possible needs was met by his portfolio. And I decided that since I wasn't being fulfilled, rather than tough it out or look for a new job uh, on the street, uh, I could get to the point of maybe 60% independence. So I use the same strategy that he does in the sense that you take your spending needs and multiply it by 25 And that's the amount of money that you actually need to have. So in theory, my goal of spending about 16,000 a year, I need to have maybe around 400,000 in a portfolio. So I have maybe a little bit more than half of that. So you could call myself 50 to 60% financially independent at this point. And the idea is I can live off of maybe 10,000 in income for my portfolio and I can supplement that with anything that I want to do. When I was working, I found that I could pick up tutoring really easily on the side and maybe work two to three hours a week at $40 an hour. And that that was a realistic possibility that I could expand to maybe five to six hours a week and actually pay my rent. And I found that I would have unlimited flexibility without worrying financially. So to answer your question, how I would define retirement, I would define it by not having to worry about your finances from a day-to-day standpoint. And In fact, I don't have to worry about finances for a year to year standpoint at this point. If if there does, there is some major correction or major problem, I'll be able to correct for the assumption that I got wrong, but I won't have to worry about doing it overnight. So that's how I call myself retired is Mm. the next 10 to 20 years. I don't have anything to worry about. What about you're 25, you're 30, you're 35. Have you thought that far down the road? And what's so wrong with having a job that you love? Perhaps you just haven't found your passion. I know everyone would love to travel, but as far as a career, uh, you didn't like Vanguard, but maybe you're just not uh, 
you're just haven't arrived at what it is that you actually love to do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just talking out loud here. Oh, that, that could totally be the case. I mean, I think that having a job that you love is the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, I think that the problem is, is a lot of times people start off in a job and they really like it. And that was kind of similar to the way it was with me at Vanguard. And they start having other interests or having other desires. And if you have a degree of financial independence, especially as someone in their 20s and 30s, you can hop and change jobs and really seek that passion to the fullest. So if the right opportunity comes along uh, where I can really take advantage of all of my skills that I feel really fulfilled in, I would jump at that, but I wouldn't jump at it because of the dollar figure next to it. And that's what saving uh, so much at an early age has allowed me to do. You also seem, from what I can tell, you don't really have a lot of needs or wants rather. You know, you're not really somebody who goes after the shiny objects. Your passion is traveling and you're doing that on the cheap. You're calling me from a hostel. Do you ever hope to get to a point where you can afford the finer things? For me, uh, I've found that whenever I do have a moment of weakness and dally in the finer things in life, I somehow am always uh, disappointed or my expectations aren't met. I I have this philosophy of uh, spending less because when you spend less, you can't have too high expectations. And most of the time, my expectations are exceeded and it makes me really happy. (laughs) So the things that that make me happy, uh, I love going to the store and getting a big, really nice watermelon or maybe a coconut and breaking that open and and having the the coconut water inside. Uh, Very simple things. So those are the things in life that make me happy. You know, if you if you look at even the the life of a very simple uh, standard of living today and compare it back to some of the castles that I've walked around where the kings lived in the 13, 1400s, we would seem like the emperors of the Holy Roman Empire by comparison. So that's that's the the philosophy that I use on a day to day is I have what I need and I don't need anything else. I like that. I have what I need and I don't need anything else. What do your parents think? They must be beside themselves. <laughs> well, my dad's very supportive. My mom is a little bit concerned. Uh, I think she might want grandchildren at some point. So uh, I think that uh, <laughs> she thinks that this lifestyle is not conducive to that. But, you know, I think that uh, there's there's a lot to be said uh, about letting tomorrow worry for itself. So, uh, you know, I don't know who I'm going to meet, who I'm going to marry. And you could sit and save and save and worry but worrying really doesn't accomplish too much. And my parents, my dad was a teacher. Uh, he worked for 40 years, didn't really save a ton. Uh, you, you know, went fishing and had hunting, a lot of hobbies like that. And uh, even his, his uh, retirement account, I found out, had been sitting in money markets for like 20 years. Oh, so no. all, all kinds of financial education uh, opportunities there. And that's really what kind of inspired me to go down a different path and start Millennial Moolah. Just because so many people, especially my age, they can't afford a 1% assets under management advisor that's going to hold their hand. And I was really passionate about teaching people. Back when I was a teaching assistant at Florida, I, I got to actually help people by helping them learn things they didn't know before. And I love that. And I love finance and love helping people with their investments. So I decided to start that because it's what I'm passionate about. And it doesn't pay very well, <laughs> but I know. I'm not worried about that right now. That's the beauty of being retired with money in the bank. What would you say is your 
biggest failure to date. You're only 25, so I don't I don't think this is going to be a huge uh, sad story. But what would you say is a misstep or something you wish you hadn't done with your money so far? Well, I kind of have a funny story. Uh, I uh, I don't I won't mention the brand name lest I get hate mail from the manufacturer. But uh, I bought a I bought a, a used SUV. Uh, had a moment of weakness in my sophomore year of college, and it was about ten thousand dollars. And I, I put down the money in cash for it, and I was so excited. It had leather seats, it had a sunroof, it had uh, heated seats, it had traction control, everything you could want, and. I got it off the property in maybe about six months time. I discovered that the sunroof had a leak and then I had problems, all kinds of problems with the engine. And then one of the heated seats didn't work and the leather seats really faux leather and they didn't really stand up to wear and tear and normal uh, kind of use of the vehicle. So I spent 10 grand, which you would most, most people consider a conservative amount of money to spend on a car. But realistically, I probably should have bought an old 93 Toyota for $3,000 and taken the 7000 and put it in the stock market. I'd probably be about $20,000 richer. <laughs> I had a 93 Toyota Corolla. Mm-hmm. Is it still running? Probably somewhere. We <laughs> we ran. I drove that thing to the ground and then I sold it. My parents sold it for I don't even know how much, like fifteen hundred dollars or some. I mean, ridiculously low because it had over one hundred fifty thousand miles on it. But I suspect it's still on the road because it's it's a t- Toyota is like the Energizer Bunny, like it never stops. Oh, I know. Well, the thing big, is, we actually have a Toyota now. That's how ingrained it is in my soul that I must have a Toyota. Always. Well, the thing about personal finance with Toyotas is comparing them to Lexus. A Toyota goes zero to 60 maybe in, I don't know, seven or eight seconds, and a Lexus might be able to do it in four or five. But is the 10000 that you'd spend on the Toyota, is that... That that much worse than this, you know, the sixty thousand you spend on the Lexus. The oh, fifty thousand dollar difference well, isn't worth the four seconds. We have an Avalon, and they say that it's um, it's 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 basically manufactured in the same way as an Avalon as a, as a Lexus, but it's half the price, and it's a exactly. beautiful car. So I'm with you. Don't spend a lot of money on a car, uh, and I you know, but you live and you learn. That's a good mistake to learn now. Not when you're 40. What would you say is your so money moment, Travis? Um, Was it when you like left the job at Vanguard and said, peace out? Or was it when you landed in your first country as you were emerging on your uh, journey abroad? What was your so money moment and why? I think it was when I reached the 50% financial independence mark of my spending uh, with my portfolio. And I realized, wow, this is something that I could really pursue. And that got me really motivated. And that's actually when I set a date in my mind of when I was going to walk away from my job. So just looking at the numbers, doing the math, seeing the, the result coming out at, at that level of independence, I was so excited. So that I would call that my so money moment. Did you tell people I'm leaving and I've retired? Or is this something that later you thought, oh, I could really call this retirement? What did people, what was the reaction, I guess, is my question. What were people, how did people react to your, the way that you were, positioning this? Oh, people were totally stunned. I, I told, told the people that I worked with that that I was closest to at work and they, they understood they were a little shocked, but they understood. And once word got out more broadly in the company, I had a couple people 
apparently that came over to the desk that I worked on and uh, we're, we're joking, uh, you know, is there any way that I could get a job with your group? <laughs> if, you, if people are retiring at 25, it must be a sweetheart gig. <laughs> and uh, I think that uh, that was that was the general reaction. People were very stunned. I got a ton of Facebook messages saying, is this a real thing? There's no way that you did this. Please tell me how to do this. So many people were so stunned. And I realized that retirement is such a societal construct. Right. This idea of retiring at 65 or 55 or having this period in your twilight years where you don't actively engage and work for money. It doesn't really make any sense other than that's what everybody else does. And so I think I got a conversation going and that's what I'm most happy with. Yeah. I can only imagine the looks on the, as you're leaving Vanguard, like the, the 60 year old guys and gals that are still at their desks and they're like, wait, what? How is well, he? They all had, yeah. They all had something in common, right? They all had pretty big houses. They mm-hmm. had nice cars. They had big, big loads of debt from those houses and cars. And they were chained to the desk, so to speak. They didn't have optionality because they made decisions that precluded them from doing whatever they wanted to. And that's what I'm advocating. I mean, if somebody's happy in their job and wants to work for 30 years, I say, go for it. That would be fantastic. Just make sure that if there ever comes a point where you're not crazy about your job, that you have the financial flexibility to say, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me, but I'm going to follow my heart. And not having debt allows you to do that. I like that optionality. Ah, I'm going to write that word in big letters. That's a a good thing to aspire to have. What is your number one habit, Travis, as you have accumulated this wealth and you've been reflecting on how you got to where you are? What would you say is the number one habit that helped you achieve this? I turn advertising into a game. So I absolutely love going to stores or walking and looking at the window shopping ads that people have or seeing a new car ad on TV uh, because I try to figure out what is the advertiser trying to appeal to me to get me to buy this. And I try to apply that across the board. And it's so tempting when you walk by a store and you see some fragrance that's on sale, it's 50% off, or some car that's going to make you very attractive and appealing and successful. But when you turn it into a game and think, oh, that's real funny, they're trying to get me to buy this because they think that I'm going to be a young billionaire like Mark Zuckerberg or something like that, uh, then it's, it's more fun. You know, You don't feel the temptation to purchase something. Uh, and you don't feel the need to act on that 50% discount, then it's just a game like playing chess or playing Pictionary. And yeah. I, that's one of the things that's allowed me to avoid the, the consumerist habits of some of my friends. That's so funny. I was walking through Soho the other day and I actually took a picture of this and put it on Twitter. There was an ad out of a, uh, on a storefront. It said, the more you spend, the more you save because they were having some big sale. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that is actually incorrect. It is totally false. The, you, there's no mathematical way to prove that the more you spend, the more you save. It's like, how about if I just spend nothing? That's well, I saw a, a hilarious ad over here in Poland with John Travolta sitting in a chair looking incredibly appealing with a <laughs> Breitling watch. And there was actually a fighter jet parked next to him and it essentially said, you know, go with Breitling and you can fly like me. Mm. And it's just kind of hilarious. They're suggesting if I buy this watch, suddenly I'm going to be rich and good looking as John Travolta and I'm going to know how to fly a fighter plane. Oh my gosh. It's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a girl can dream. 
or guy <laughs> Travis, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks? You've been such a fun millennial. I'm so excited to unleash this interview. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is Ooh, hundred million. Well, yeah. I would give I would give ten million to uh, some church ministries that have helped me out along the way, and I think that do incredible social justice work and and do all kinds of great things for people in developing countries. I would take ten million of that, and I would start five twenty nines and buy variable annuities uh, for my friends and family, so that I could provide for their college education needs as well as their retirements because variable annuities are the only vehicle that I'm aware of that you can purchase uh, to actually have that go towards retirement. They don't have income limitations like IRAs. Um, Very limited use though. You shouldn't use them generally. Yeah. I was going to say that doesn't seem like a good general tip. It's not a good general tip. It's just a very strange thing if you had an extra ten million lying around that you didn't oh. really need to do anything with, you know. Because yeah. um, and that's like you know, all eight of us in this world. <laughs> <laughs> and then the eighty million left over, what I would do is I would invest that and try to get about four percent of it to spend on philanthropic. Uh, goals. And then the rest of it, I would try to come up with a really cool plan when I pass away to give it away. That's great. That's a great answer. You're very thought out. You seem like you've thought about this. Just in case anybody gives me a hundred million. Just in case. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is... I would say fruit because vitamin C is wonderful, especially when you're traveling from hostel to hostel in 20 different countries. <laughs> yes. I actually had a, a trainer, a physical uh, fitness trainer on the show recently who told me that fruit is like very dangerous because it has so much really? sugar. Yeah. He's, Uh-oh. he's very anti-sugar. And when I yeah. was actually pregnant, all I wanted to eat was fruit because it was the only thing that didn't make me want to throw up. And mm-hmm. my doctor said, stop the fruit. Cause it was actually raising my blood sugar. So mm. just a little, I don't know, FYI, I suppose about fruit. I love fruit too. I, my mom like swears by fruit. She's like, I buy pieces of fruit every day and, and she'll probably live well, to be a hundred. So who knows? Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's dangerous, but it's not as dangerous as a lot of the other things you can eat. When I was, when I was a bond trader, I was popping Skittles like nobody's business. And then I tested pre-diabetic for my blood sugar levels. And so I switched to fruit as an alternative. Gosh. Okay. So it's, everything's relative. My biggest splurge that I spend a lot of money on is. Hmm. Splurge. Mm -hmm. Or guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. I don't really know that I have one. Maybe that's a bad answer. <laughs> I, how about how about a, a dry, safe, warm place to live? Because in a lot of the places that I visited around the world, like in South Africa, people live in five foot by five foot shandy towns and they don't have that. So I'm very blessed and I'm willing to spend a, a little bit extra to make sure that I have a good place to live. I like that. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is compound interest is real and it is powerful my grandmother when i was born bought me a bunch of government savings bonds and it was pretty cool they were worth about double what they uh, were worth when she purchased them when i turned 18 but if she'd instead purchased a couple shares of the s p 500 i probably would have had quadruple or quintuple the money instead Mm. so 
you know, it's time is your asset. And if you have a lot of time, you got to use compound interest and, and let it be your friend, not your enemy. Perhaps the, the big, the best tip all week from a millennial perspective is that your youth is an asset. Use the time that you have from now until the future to get started in savings, even if it's just 20 bucks a week, whatever you can do. Because as I always say, saving money is a habit that needs to be practiced and you need to flex that muscle and just start with something, anything. And then once you see the accumulation, I think that will inspire you to save even more and more aggressively. I, I just helped my, uh, cousin who's a teacher started a Roth IRA and it was a big first step for her. She was really scared to see the money go up and down, but she put 5,000 in and it went up a little bit and she was absolutely floored that money could go up. And of course we explained that money, (laughs) you know, it, it doesn't always go up. It can go down too, but over the long run, it really does go up and it's really powerful. Yes. You have to just stay the course. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... I like to give to whatever church family that I'm actively a part of, uh, especially one that really is engaged in helping the homeless and helping people in the community and helping people in hard times get better. And I'm Travis Hornsby. I'm so money because... Because I'm 25 and quote unquote retired and I'm traveling the world. Yes. Well, good luck to you, Travis. I... I was skeptical, I have to say, before the interview started. I didn't know if you were just pulling my chain, if you'd really retired, if you just wanted to get on this podcast. But I really respect what you've done. I think there are so many lessons to be learned. Everyone check out millennialmoolah.com and Travis's new book. It's on Amazon. 25 is the new 65. Travis, stay in touch, okay? Totally. Thanks so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Good luck to you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Travis, his website again is millennialmoolah.com, no H. Follow him on Twitter at tmoneymoolah. We've got all this info at somoneypodcast.com along with a transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. As a reminder, Travis's book is called 25 is the new 65. And I want to hear from you guys. Submit your question about money, work, life, guests over at somoneypodcast.com and there's a really good chance that I will answer it this weekend. As a reminder too, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, hop on iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday, I select one new reviewer to get a free 15-minute money blitz with me. Hope will connect. Thanks again to my guest, Travis Hornsby. Lots more millennials coming our way this week. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. Money.